Hey there. I love coaching and I love talking about coaching just as much. Coffeehouse Coaching was created for a couple of reasons. To connect with other coaches and their clients and also provide a space to better understand what coaching is and how impactful it can be to you in your career. I'm your host, Gary Nowak, and today I had the pleasure of speaking with another podcaster about her professional executive coaching career, Alyssa Kelly. You can find Alyssa on her website under that name, also on LinkedIn, and she has a podcast called My Professional Pivot, which I highly encourage you to check out as well. Some highlights from our conversation, coaching is a great investment in yourself, reasons for working with a coach, being the guide on the side, I kind of like that, your coaching goal may not be your coaching goal, changing her own career focus, Alyssa's niche, career transitions and progressions, reframe success in their careers, perfection and the imposter syndrome. If you have any of these, Alyssa's a great person to reach out to. Finding a coach, being on a roller coaster ride, converting from corporate to being an entrepreneur, coaching clients that can be similar to you, Coaching goal in 2022, data-driven coaching. Your mind has multiple tracks. And finally, Alyssa is a reader. She reads about 65 books a year. I don't know that I've ever read 65 books in my lifetime. Okay, let me get out of your way so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Alyssa Kelly. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Really happy to have you here. Thanks for having me, Gary. You look great. First question, what got you into coaching? I fell into coaching in part because I had a mentor who mentioned that she had personally hired an executive coach and actually paid for it herself. And so I walked away from this conversation with her thinking, I want to advance. I was, I was an executive in a Fortune 100 company at the time, and I thought, I want to advance, and so I'm going to do as she did. I'm going to go hire a coach on my own. Admittedly, not realizing that I could have had my company pay for it. And so I footed the bill myself, and that was my first kind of foray into hiring a coach and working with a coach myself. Sounds like it was a good investment. It was absolutely a great investment and I would do it again, regardless of whether or not it was company sponsored. And now I'm on the other side, I'm an executive coach myself. And it's interesting because I do have clients that come to me that pay their own way. uh, And it's really because they are interested in advancing themselves as humans and leaders. And so it's always interesting to me where people spend their money, because I think it's easy for us to say, oh, I want this new item. I want a new mountain bike or I want a new car or whatever it is. And we justify the allocation of a significant amount of money, but we don't do that as frequently for ourselves on self-improvement. And to me, that that value that you get is, is so transformational on a go-forward basis that I think if more people saw that, more people would be interested or willing to consider that allocation of funds, if that makes sense. It makes sense for this podcast, because that's what we're trying to do is show the value. What drove me to my first question is you had a mentor, they had a coach and you brought up people discount the impact of coaching or they don't understand it. Do you find with your clients, they understand what coaching is when they come to you? That's a good question. I think it depends. And more often than not, they don't really know what coaching is. And admittedly, I didn't when I hired my first coach. I expected to be told, here's what you need to do to accelerate your movement up the career corporate ladder. 
That was why I hired someone. I got something totally different out of the coaching engagement, which ended up being really valuable to me. But I think that people assume that coaching is more like mentorship, where you are sharing advice and, and giving guidance or direction versus what it is, which is really asking questions in order to increase people's awareness uh, of what's inside of them. So then they can change if they decide to or modify habits in order to get them to where it is that they want to go. And so it's really about the guide on the side and being able to get people to where they want to go without telling them what to do guide on the side. I'm going to use that. Any, anything that rhymes, I'm all in favor of. So you mentioned something that I think is interesting. You went into coaching with one area of focus and how long did it take you to shift into something different or that you realized, well, that really wasn't what I wanted to talk about. I think it was pretty clear early on that my goal that I went in with was not really what my goal was. And so my goal, I think I stated, was to move up the career ladder. I was thinking about what's next for me. And that was why I hired this coach. And where I ended up pivoting to was what is the definition of success for me? Because my goal had been for my entire 20 years in my professional career to move up and accelerate my earning potential and get a bigger title. And when I paused and answered the question, what does success look like? It wasn't about money or title. It was about other things. And so that really set me back, not in a bad way, but more kind of startled me into this idea of if that's not what my goal is, and if success looks like something else, then how do I reposition myself in order to focus on that new definition? And that was something that was really heavily ingrained in me. I had spent 20 years and gotten reasonably high on that ladder. And so to reposition at that point really was a lot of deep work inside myself rather than just saying, okay, rather than being an executive, I'm going to do something else. So it felt like it was just, well, what's the next step up? What's the next step up? And you got asked the question of what does success mean? And that you said you were taken aback, it jarred you. And was that that simple of a question for you that just changed your whole perspective on coaching or your career? It was more than that simple question. So I think that simple question was at the core, but the coach that I worked with had some worksheets and workbooks that he used. And so there were a lot of sub questions, I would say, that were underneath that. What does success look like? So it was really overlaying this business element of create, what is your vision statement for your life? Who do you want to be? So create some statements around like, I am statements. I am helpful. I am a successful mother. And so once you've started to create that, it helped give me some, I would say some creative space to envision what could be. Because for me, I thought if I'm not an executive and I'm not moving up, then I don't, I was so startled. I was, I don't even know who I am if I'm not an executive. And so that for me was really creating some space to identify what do I like doing in my job? What could I do or what would I want to do if I wasn't in this job? And then how do I get there? I like that framing. You wanted to create space. And I guess I feel that's what coaching does quite a bit is it creates a lot of space just for you. Do you have a certain niche or a focus in your coaching practice based on what you've gone through? I do. I uh, focus primarily on transitions. And so that there are a couple of different areas of transitions that I work with folks on. And so one of those is actually moving up in organizations. 
Uh, so people who want to accelerate their career and are trying to figure out what's holding them back. I also work with folks who are moving into new roles. So that first six months, either moving into like your first VP or officer role to set yourself up for success as you level up. And then I also work with people who are redefining what success means to them. So they're trying to figure out what does their pivot look like and how can they transition to something else. And so that can take a lot of different avenues. That can be early retirement age and I'm trying to figure out what's next because I don't want to just sit at home and watch Netflix. Or it could be somebody that's in a similar situation to where I was, where I knew I wanted to do something different after I had worked with that first coach and I was figuring out how do I get there in a successful way as I explore that space that you called out. And I think that's one of the most important pieces of coaching or one of the biggest benefits that you get is the idea that you have this time with your coach and it's really all about creating a safe space for you so that you can explore things that you might not have the time or space otherwise to, to take up. You used a great word, I thought, explore. It's the opportunity for you through a coach to just, what if? What about this? What about that? You said you had I am statement. So you work with people. So people that work with you are individuals that are moving up, that have a new role, or that want to maybe reposition what success looks like for them. So it's similar to you in a way. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's why I lay, it was very deliberate that I landed in that niche. So I had some really great advice early on when I was considering becoming a coach and an entrepreneur and leaving my corporate role. And the advice was coaching is a really broad field. And so just saying I'm a coach is going to get you lost in a pool. And so if you niche yourself and say, this is who I work with, it's easier for people to say, oh yeah, I know a client. I know somebody who is in that space. And so they would be potentially be a good connection for you. And it, it also gives you the opportunity to work with people that you want to work with. To me, one of the biggest changes going from a corporate role to being an entrepreneur is I get to say yes and no to who I work with. And so what I love doing is helping people who are on this journey of figuring out what's next, regardless of what that looks like, whether that's moving up, whether that's starting something new. And so for me, it's really, it is a continuation. In my corporate role, I work in insurance for 20 years, but I didn't stay in one area. I worked in five or six different verticals and in different roles. And that really fueled me. I like doing different things. I'm confident even as I think about the next decade of my career as a coach and an entrepreneur that I won't be doing exactly what I'm doing today in 10 years because I like variety. And so for me, working with folks who are in that same space felt natural and, and has turned into what has become what a really natural client base. And I think there's a piece of you attract people who are interested or aligned with kind of your story. And that's not to say that you should look for a coach who mirrors you, because I also think that there's something to be said about diversity of the matches. And I think matching is really important with coaching. So I always tell clients when I meet with them initially, yeah, matching is important and my feelings won't be hurt if I'm not the right person for you. It's really important to feel like you have a connection with your coach and you can trust them uh, in order to make it the most productive use of your time. I like, I have one question on uh, corporate to entrepreneur, but I did want to touch on that. If, how do people find you? That's a good question. It's been an interesting experiment. I'm an, I'm a newer entrepreneur and coach. I, I've been um, on my own for less than a year, even though I've been coaching for longer than that because I was inside an organization previously. 
In my experience, it is almost exclusively through referrals. So people who, who have either uh, worked with me in a coach relationship or folks who know uh, my background and know that I am full-time coaching. So it's almost all referrals. And I have found that I do get a lot of folks from LinkedIn. So people who are connected to people who I know who are looking for a coach. And I think there's this element of if somebody knows you, it's a little bit less scary is not the right word. It's a little bit, you have a little bit more credibility if somebody knows you rather than I think Google searching to find, find a coach. And admittedly, both times I hired a coach, it was somebody that I knew of through a connection somewhere rather than just Googling coach. And not that you can't find somebody that way, but I think that probably not dissimilar from like doctors and therapists. It's one of those things where you want to know somebody that knows somebody. The word I use is daunting. And I found that when I was looking for a coaching program, the number of coaching, it's daunting. It's just, it's so big. So it's, it translates into finding a coach the same way. I completely agree with you. When I was looking for a coaching program myself, I was blown away by the number of programs that are out there and admittedly landed in the program that I did, we were certified in the same program through Hudson. And the reason I landed in that program was because I knew a couple people who had gone through it and spoke really highly of it. And so I thought this seems like a really great program. It seems like it meets my needs. And I know people who have gone through it and I can't say the same of any other program. And that's literally why I landed there. Same. And what I did like about our program was it's very intensely focused on us. And the irony of coaching is that we are the biggest tool in coaching us, our experience. And it's so, it was so difficult for me to grasp that of they're hiring me, but I can't really bring my stories or advice in. So what am I doing? And the further along we go, I think it becomes more apparent of the power of just being present for somebody asking insightful questions. I've noticed the shift in my coaching. What, one thing I did want to ask you is how difficult was it for you to go from corporate to this entrepreneurial path of coaching? That's a really great question. I'm trying to think of the right word to describe what it's been like. Definitely a roller coaster. And so when you think about difficult, I think about there are times on the roller coaster when I'm like, this is fun. And then there are times on the roller coaster where I'm like, oh my God, I'm terrified. Uh, and then there are times where you like uh, ride into the end of the ride and you're like, oh, is it over? I, I want more. Uh -huh. And that is probably how I would describe my transition from corporate to entrepreneur. It's, it's a wild ride. <laughs> what was fun about it? What's the funnest thing about coaching for you? I think the most fun part for me, I'm actually going to, I'm going to give you two answers to that. So I think the most fun is the ability to be creative. And so I have a lot of different projects that I'm working on. And at the beginning of this year, I actually said, I'm going to do a lot of things this year and I'm going to find what I like doing and I'm going to keep doing that. And some things I'm going to set aside and I'm not going to move forward with them. And so that ability to be creative and create the space and how much I work and what I work on is amazing. I am somebody who loves control, which is also probably why I was moving up the ladder in corporate America. But also this element is different and feels cleaner to me in that I'm able to fill my cup with things that are completely my choice. And that has been, a, that's been a really amazing and fun part of it. And the other part is I really like helping people. That's always been something that's at the core of who I am. I, I 
I really landed in coaching because when I was looking around in my executive role and thinking about, you know, if I look back through the different areas that I've worked in claims and product and business development and finance, what I liked about each of those roles was coaching and mentoring people. And I use the term coaching loosely because I think there was a lot more advice, but I liked helping people and I still like helping people. I've always been really involved in my community uh, from a nonprofit perspective. And that's something that really matters to me. And so it was a natural kind of element. So to me, that's a really huge part of why I think every day is fun. I get to help people. You mentioned it was also terrifying. What was terrifying about coaching early on? Oh gosh, I have so many things. <laughs> I like to be right and I like to do things well. And so anytime you are honing a new skill and you don't feel like you're perfect at it. I work with a lot of clients now on perfection and imposter syndrome. And I have worked through that myself because that that was it was hard and scary to feel like you're not sure if you're doing it right, quote unquote, or showing up in the best way possible. And to your earlier point about coaching is about us as individuals. I've really grown as a human and an individual through becoming a coach and working with people. And that was a a super scary part, certainly. And I would say the other part is just leaving what feels like I I would say is a false sense of security, but a false sense of security working for a large organization where you get a paycheck every two weeks and you have very clearly delineated roles and responsibilities and there's a structure around that. And so certainly there's a lot of politics and navigation, but that was what I had grown up in. And so it was very familiar and that felt like something that I knew how to do. And so that probably was the counter to that. So leaving something that you know how to do for this unknown element of creativity and coaching and helping people, but really not knowing what's going to come of that, where you're going to get clients was really scary at the beginning. And I can say, looking back, I'm so glad that I had the courage to jump off that cliff because it's definitely been rewarding. And there are a lot of elements of the work that I did for a long time in corporate that I think transfer transfer through, certainly. Love it. It's like uh, walking a high wire without a net. What's it like to work with you? What can people expect? I think people can expect someone who is direct and willing to reflect back areas of opportunity that they might not be seeing themselves. I think that's one of the important pieces of coaching and certainly something that I identify with as a coach. And I think it's really also about creating a safe space. And so what you see is what you get. I'm a really genuine person. And so I think that ability to create a safe space where you can bring your challenges to the table and really look at some of the elements of this is why I'm showing up in this way, or this is why this is a hurdle. And this is something I want to get past. And you really need that safe space in a coaching engagement. If you're willing to dig deep and identify where you want to modify or change in order to move forward. And so having that safe space is really important. Yeah. And I'd like it. I find it's very difficult to move forward without a safe space. How do you create a safe space? What are the key elements for you? I think it's not about the key elements for me. It's about the key elements for the client. So I would say that safe space is created in a different time frame with different clients. So some clients 
are more trusting than others and others take a bit of time. And so I think part of how I create that trust is the willingness to be forthright and frank when I see something. And so not just let people, how do I categorize that? being willing to share something that might be difficult to hear. And so I'll give you an example of that. I had a client who, if I let the person, they would have talked the entire 60 minutes of our session. And so I, I would have to interrupt in a way that was kind. And, and then after that, I shared with the person, this is my experience with you. I am having a hard time getting a question in. And so I'm wondering if maybe other people have the same experience with you. And so it would be just as easy to take the client's money and have them just come and talk at me for 60 minutes, but that's not really going to get them to where they're going. And so as coaches, we have the opportunity, I think, to be courageous and share things back that sometimes people are either unaware of or have pushed to the side and said, oh, I've gotten this feedback from people, but I'm going to disregard it for whatever reason. And so I think that courage element is really important with coaching. And that's part of how you create that safe space and the trust because people, people being clients recognize that you are going to be forthright with them. Yeah. And I think courage is one of the key pillars that we learned in our coaching practice and the importance of it. Do you have an example of how you've impacted a client or something that stands out in your mind? It's hard to pick a client. That's a great question. <laughs> it can be an amalgamation. So yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I try and be very thoughtful, even from a gender identification when I talk about experiences. And I also think it's a really great question because you were talking about coaching and we're talking about this unknown element of it. At, and what I think the opportunity that we have here is to dispel that and break it down. And so what a great opportunity for somebody who's listening to hear, oh, this is a challenge somebody brought and how they worked through it and where they got to. So how about I will, I'll share about one client. So I, ha I had a client who um, wanted to move up to the next level and was moving from a director level into an officer level in an organization and really trying to create a clear leadership style. They had been an individual contributor that was a high performer and was promoted into a people leadership role. And as often happens, you're really adept at whatever that individual contributor uh, technical skill is, but you don't often have a lot of people leadership experience when you move up into that role. And so that can be challenging. And so what we worked on was really what kind of leader do you want to be? What can your leadership style be? What are your options? And then how do you actually implement that? And so it was a lot of planning around what, how would you like to show up as a leader? And as challenges come up, how do we attack each of those challenges? And so certainly in a coaching engagement, whether it's three months or six months, you're working with somebody every other week and there are things happening in their life, personal and professional. And so that's one of the great benefits, I think, of coaching. You get to work on things that are very prominent at, at hand. And so as challenges came up with this leader, with their team and people left the organization and you had to replace them and other challenges we really worked on. How do you, how do you show up as the leader you want to be, even when it's difficult during the engagement, the client was promoted and really developed a clear sense of their leadership and helped create some new habits. And I mentioned earlier that I work with a lot of folks who are working on perfectionism. I think I probably attract that because it's something that I'm acutely aware of like the pain points of it and have worked on it and continue to work on it myself. And so that was one of the things with this leader that we worked on as well. How do you create some new habits to manage the expectations that you have of yourself and wanting to do everything perfect? Well, just to that, as 
people go up and they talk about leadership, there are things that what got you there won't keep you there. Yes. And in as much as we may recognize that, I think getting the client to explain they need to be less involved in something and more involved in something else. Or I think you mentioned there's new habits that they have to develop or a new structure they have to develop, that type of thing. Question, obviously, is a podcast. What are, do you have coaching goals in mind for yourself? And if so, how did you define them and what are they? That's a great question. I haven't really thought of it in the context of, do I have coaching goals for myself? So I will share an answer to your question in a roundabout way that I have goals for myself from a business perspective. And I was very deliberate when I set out my goals this year that they were not financially driven because that's where I go immediately. That's what success is. No surprise there, given what I shared earlier. And so what I did was really turn that on its head and say, my, my goal is to be a great coach this year. And my goal is to coach a lot. So I really believe that the more we coach, the more reps we get, the better we get at it. And so I put some pieces in place in order to ensure that I'm coaching a lot and I'm reflecting. So I always reflect back on my sessions, not only um, from a client perspective, but also from a coach perspective. What was I doing well? What could I do differently? And I'm in actively in supervision from a coaching perspective, which I think is really important. I love getting certifications and learning. And so I told myself that I wasn't allowed to go out and sign up for a bunch of things this year. I've signed up for one thing to expand in one certain area of team coaching that I'm interested in, but I really have tried to hold off on that because that's my natural inclination, go out and get a bunch of letters after my name. And, and I'm not saying that that's not a great opportunity and a good way to learn. But for me, I really wanted to focus on the purity of, of coaching and, and just continuing to build that muscle. I, I agree. And that's, we're in similar positions because I think it is about reps and it's the purity of coaching. I don't, I felt, I feel sometimes because I don't have any accreditations in any assessment tools at this point. I know people do. And my thinking is I don't want to let the tool drive the coaching. I want the coaching to drive the tool. Granted, there's over 30, 40, 50 different types of tools out there and who knows which one, which one fits. I love that philosophy. I think that's so important. I'm certified in one assessment tool and it's the Hogan assessment. And I do really like it. I like it because it's founded in data and not all of the tools that are out there are. So I'm a big fan of it. And, and I will admit that part of the reason I use it is because 75% of the Fortune 100 companies use it. So from a coaching perspective, there's a business development and marketing element to that. And I find even for clients who are paying on their own, some people really like data. And so they like the idea that, yes, we're going to work on coaching. And then I also am going to get this report that's going to have some concrete information. I, I also, though, will go back to the idea of that, in my opinion, shouldn't drive the coaching. And so I will not lead with the assessments. I'm a really big believer in let's start to dig into what your goal is and then figure out what your real goal is after we start to work into it before we get into the assessment. Because I also think that folks can get really, really honed in on this is what the report says rather than this is how it's showing up for me. And so I think that balance element is really important with any assessment or any tool that you're using with clients. Yes. What I heard is you really listen to your client and see what fits for them. Yes. Your perspective this year, I'm guessing 2022 is to get reps to reflect a lot, which I'm finding extremely valuable in sessions. I'll take notes 
after the session and I'll write reflections just for myself of what was happening to me. And I think, you know, our training has taught us what's happening to us during a session and how can we not let ourselves get in the way uh, at some point in time. And then supervision, uh, I'm also involved in supervision. I know that's, that's a key, that's a key element, but anytime you can talk coaching with other people, I just, I love it. And I, and I know I'm talking way too long for, for this, but I've noticed with coaching, everything I listen to and hear leads back to coaching. And I don't want to get into too many of the details, but I listened to another podcast and the person had lost a family member, daughter, very traumatic. And he, he realized that he wasn't able to remember where he put his keys. And what he said, I thought that was impactful was our minds have tracks and this track of how to deal with the loss was no other could be going along in, in your mind. And I feel as coaches, we deal with people that have multiple tracks in their head. And one of them may be something that you help clients with career transition. And how important is that track and how much energy does that track take? So I don't know if that resonates with you at all, or if that visual, once I heard the visual, I was like, ah, I like that. So let me stop talking. It does. I think that tracks are really, we both as the coach and as the client have multiple tracks going on at the same time. And I think as the coach, part of our goal and our duty is to ensure that we're not like sitting on that same track with our client so much so that we're not sitting in our coach seat. And as you were talking about tracks, I was thinking about a client session I had a couple of weeks ago where it was really difficult for me because I was very upset for this client about something that had happened to them in this work situation. And I actually had to say, I have a lot of empathy for you right now because of what has happened. I've gone through something similar. And so I'm just going to take that and I'm going to box that up and I'm going to put it on the shelf. That's something a coach said to me once. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to use that. So I think we, a couple things here, we take elements from other coaches to your point, including the coaches that we've worked with as where we've been the coachee. And we have to sometimes box things up and set them aside, put them on a shelf so that we can operate in a way that helps the client on whatever track they're on. Because even though there are multiple tracks going at the same time, they set the uh, agenda for coaching. And so if they choose track one, even though four other tracks going on that you know about, it's really about where the client wants to go and what's most impactful and meaningful to them in that session and that time. Just reflecting on what you said earlier which is you had a client that would talk for 60 minutes unless there was an interruption. So internally, you decided to share that to say, hey, here's what's happening with me. I'm finding it very difficult. I wonder if this is happening in other areas of your life or if you're comfortable that it's happening in other areas of your life. My guess would be this may be an experiment, but it sounds like you were doing it, but it's, it's taking it and boxing it up and putting it aside almost seamlessly with the client because it's happening inside of you. So what's happening to me, sometimes I'm feeling something it's like, okay, pass it through, get rid of it, write it down. And I, I hate to say this, but sometimes I'm in a coaching session and something pops in my head that shouldn't like, what am I going to get at Costco today? It's like, oh yeah, lemons. <laughs> and I might just write at the top of my sheet lemons because if I don't write it down, it might stick in there. So what I've learned is just write something down real quick, get it out of my head. So I don't know if that's happening. It's embarrassing being a coach scene. 
I don't think that's embarrassing at all. I think that's real. Like we're real people. And so we are not immune to things popping into our heads at different times. And I love that you've created something that works for you in order to get it out so that then you can focus on, on your client. And I think that's, that's about the reps. It's about having things like that happen and figuring out how do you, how do you continue to advance yourself in this, in this arena that we've chosen to be in. That's why I think we, we connect is you use the same words I was using is I'm a rep guy. I need reps. I can go read about it, which the only other thing I'm doing that I didn't hear is I'm going back and rereading books or re-listening to books. And obviously after what we've been through, we're, I'd listen to it a whole different way. And I'm just reflecting back on that as that's been helpful for me. I would absolutely agree with that. I'm an avid reader, both in coaching and the professional realm, as well as for pleasure. I read a lot of memoirs and fiction. And this year I pulled myself back. I read 65 books last year. And so rather, and I have the last couple of years continued to set a higher and higher goal for myself. And so I actually pulled my goal back this year and said, I'm just going to read whatever comes up that's supporting either me personally or professionally, rather than continuing to advance the goal, because I felt like I had got past a point that was reasonable. It's not really different things are reasonable for different people, but I found that I was so focused on making sure that I was getting my at least one book a week that I was maybe negating other areas. I don't know if that's the right word. I I wasn't focusing on other areas that I also cared about. And so when I sat down this year and for the first time ever in my life said, where are there things that I would like to do that I haven't had the time to do before because I've put, oh, not a hundred. I've put 90% of my life into my corporate executive role and the other 10% into my family. I'm a mad two kids that are in elementary school. And so rather than having that split, I now have a much more, a much healthier split between my personal, my professional, my family, and then my personal. And so for me, like I'm, I downloaded an app and I'm relearning Spanish this year. That was something that I set out and said, I'm going to focus on that rather than reading more than 52 books in the year. I'm not good at math, but if you read 65 books in one year, that's more than a book a week. I think if I got that right. It, 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 you are absolutely right. <laughs> that, so I pulled it back. Last year, it was 65 books, which is more than one a week. And so I set my goal lower this year at 52, which is one a week. But I appreciate the mathematical clarification. Well, I was just, you, you hate doing math on a podcast or without a calculator. It's like, I think I got that right. Let me just throw it out there, see if it's right. <laughs> hey, one, one kind of heavy question before we get into the fun stuff. How has coaching impacted other areas of your life? Coaching has impacted, I would say, my listening. So I am a much better listener now than I was a couple of years ago before I got my my coaching certification. And so the biggest impact, I would say, from a listening perspective is, is actually with my spouse. So I really subscribe to this idea of hear, help, handle rather than giving advice. And as somebody who likes to be right and has admitted to being a bit controlling, it's probably no surprise that when I would get into an interaction with my spouse, I'm the fixer. I'm going to tell you how to do things. I'm going to, whether you are interested in that or not. And that's not to say that sometimes he's not interested in my advice or my thoughts, but there are also times where 
understandably so, he just wants me to listen. And so I'm um, approaching this, do you just want me to listen? Do you, you want me to offer some advice or do you want me to do something has been really impactful on our relationship. And I think at the core of that is, is really about listening and hearing what is somebody bringing to the table. And so that's been a really unexpected, but amazing impact uh, from a personal perspective. Do you ever coach your young elementary students? kids, children? Yeah. My struggle with, uh, with, with coaching them is they're kids. And so there is more need for me to tell and teach. And I also think that coaching is a really important element of parenthood. And so I'm a big believer in teaching them how to think and do things on their own. And that has always been our philosophy from a parenting perspective, not to necessarily give them the answers, but to ask them a question so that they can try and get there and then help them when they don't get there themselves. But certainly as they get a little bit older, I think that the element of coaching and asking questions in order to encourage self-reflection is definitely something that, that will what will remain a part of my parenting style as they grow. I like it. And you have the, what I captured as the triple H approach here, help and handle. I might, might weave that into something. Okay. Do you have time for a few fun questions? Sure. All right. Favorite movie or book? Yeah, I can't pick a book because like the, I just don't know how I would pick one. I can pick a favorite movie though. So my favorite movie is definitely The Thomas Crown Affair, the newer one that's not really new, but with Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo. I just think it's super fun. I love the risk element, right? But she's an insurance person in it and it's all about art heists and it's just one of my favorites. Do you have a favorite author? I can't just pick one. Can't go there either. <laughs> no. Wow. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I so here's what I'll say. One book that I absolutely love and is a classic is um The Great Gatsby. So one of my favorites. I've read it more times than I can count. But again, I, I have a really hard time picking a author or a book because I love to read, obviously, as we've established. And so I, my my reading habits are really very broad. And so I don't really want to narrow myself down to one author or one book. Fair enough. I wish I had that. Are your kids avid readers as well? They are. Yeah. My kids are six and eight and they're reading, I don't know, like four or five grade levels ahead. And so reading is a big part of all of our lives. And I love that they have uh, picked that up. And on the weekend, you can find us on Sunday afternoon, just hanging around the living room. Everybody has a book in their hand. How good is that? And do you go paper or electronic? Both. So I'm a big fan of actual paper books. I love going to local bookstores and buying paper books. I'm also a big fan of, of borrowing from the library. And, and part of this is probably obvious because it's exp books are expensive and I read a lot of them. And so to me, it's a, there's some cost consciousness there. I also have a Kindle and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. So I'm usually reading at least two or three books at a time. And so I usually have a paper book and a couple books on Kindle. And so I'm not married to one method or another. And I encourage that with my kids. So like they can read sometimes on their tablets and sometimes they need to read a paper book. And so, yeah. I have two sisters and no doubt they will be calling you up or reaching out to you. They are avid readers as well. Not to your extent, but boy, we fun stuff questions. We locked into that one for a while. Sorry about that. What's your favorite meal? No question. Pizza and red wine. <laughs> okay. What kind of pizza is important? 
Yeah, I like lots of different kinds of pizza. So I like white pizza with spinach. I like pepperoni and jalapenos. I could go like mushroom and olives. I like Hawaiian every once in a while. I would eat a veggie. Not really into plain cheese. You're an equal opportunity pizza eater. Yes, yes. Any (laughs) concert from an artist, dead or alive, who do you want to see? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Too many to choose? Too many to choose. I love, I love music and the environment and like the vibe that it can create. And so I'm a big fan, but I would say also equal opportunity. So I, if I'm working not with a client, not in session, I often just have some kind of random station on in the back. And so really enjoy music, but don't, I don't, I don't know that I would have a certain person or a certain concert. That's fair. You are open for everything. What did you want to be when you were growing up? A lawyer. I was always going to be a lawyer. (laughs) That was my plan. All through undergrad, I took the LSAT and um, I actually worked at a law firm when I was in undergrad as a first as a file clerk and then as a legal secretary and really just didn't like the environment and decided I didn't want to do that. Try and get into the corporate world business would be my backup and I went to a job fair and got a job as a claims adjuster and the rest was history. (laughs) There we go. That's all it took. What is your go-to alcoholic beverage? Depends on the circumstance. Again, I'm probably equal opportunity. If I'm at a baseball game, I want a beer. If I'm, if it's Friday night and we're having pizza, I'd like a glass of red wine. If it's summer, I'm probably drinking white because it's hot in Arizona where I live. So I'm pretty equal opportunity. You are. And everything with books, with a <laughs> concert, with your go-to alcohol. That's good. Okay. Dinner with anybody dead or alive, who would it be? Yeah, I so it would probably be my grandmother, my Oma. She was a super special person in my life. And I have a lot of respect and love for her. And there are some things that I wish that I had asked her while she was still alive. And so I regret I don't regret a lot in my life because I think we are where we are because of the experiences we have. But I do regret that I didn't ask her some questions about some of her early life before she got to where she was when I showed up. So definitely my Oma. That is the right answer always. And with older people, just listen and revel in their experience because they are very happy to talk to you. And if a young person asks questions to an older person, I just think that is just ask questions and listen, because they're a fountain of knowledge, as we know, growing through our lives. Final question. How do you want to be remembered as a coach? I want to be remembered as a coach the same way I want to be remembered as a human, as someone who helped other people. That's it. Bingo. And you're doing it. Yeah. Lisa, thanks for your time. Before I let you go, how can people find you? Yeah, they can find me on my website, which is www.myname.elissa.kelly.com, or they can find me on LinkedIn uh, at Elissa Kelly. And the same with Instagram and Twitter. It's at Elissa Coaches. Too easy. Elissa, thank you so much for being on. I had so much fun with you. Really appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Gary. This